You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 14. Last week, we were looking at um, the, the, the route or the journey of Israel uh, leading Egypt. And we talked about how uh, those of us who are maybe um, responsible for planning trips, it's not the route that we would have chosen, right? The Bible goes into to details talking about how God chose a longer route for them to get home versus the direct route uh, to the promised land. Um, and, and we talked about how God was intentional with that, right? That um, had he chosen the direct route, there were threats, there were uh, potential um, uh, pitfalls for their faith. And so God was very concerned, not just about getting them to the promised land, but getting them there in a healthy manner. And so he reroutes them. He, he has them go this long way around. And so we said last week, if we allow the Lord to direct our steps, which is what Proverbs tells us we should do, not to trust in our own understanding, but to, to trust in his and to let him direct our steps. We should expect to be led occasionally on paths that seem unnecessarily long and out of the way. But if we keep in mind he knows the best ways to go, uh, we can keep in mind that he keeps his promises in the best ways possible too. So uh, if, we're following, if we're following Jesus, and most of us claim to do that today, and most of us are striving to do that today, uh, the reminder to us last week was expect to sometimes go on longer routes than we would have wanted to, um, that, that God's going to sometimes lead us in, in a direction that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. But uh, the assurance to us is that it's the best thing for our faith. Um, and so we talked about trusting the routes that God has chosen, um, investing in the promises that God has made to us. We talked about how um, Joseph's bones, who we haven't heard from Joseph uh, since his death at the end of um, Genesis, and then he's briefly mentioned at the beginning of Exodus when we're told that everybody forgot about him. His bones are taken with them, and uh, it's a nod to the promises of God that Joseph believed. And he said, whenever y'all leave, take me with you, because I want to be buried in the promised land. Um, so it's a reminder to us to, to see sometimes God's delays in his promises, but to keep trusting in those, and then to follow his guidance. Um, we're told there at the end of chapter 13 that he's going to lead and guide them as a pillar of uh, cloud, as a pillar of fire by night. Um, and he leads us today not in that manner, but through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We turn our attention today to chapter 14, um, and I want to handle our passage a little bit differently than normal today. And, and what I mean by that is we're going to read the middle section first, and then we're going to come back and look at the first section and the last section. So we're looking at verses 1 through 14 today, but we're going to start by reading verse 5. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by uh, Pihiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. This is the narrative portion of our story today, right? It's just, it's just facts of what's happening here next. We see Israel leave. We see them choose a route. God has them on this route. And then we jump to here and we see 
Egypt reacting now to it. They're having a change of heart. Uh, More than likely, they get back to everyday life. They've kind of weathered the storm of losing their firstborn. And now as they get back to everyday life, they kind of pick themselves up out of the morning stage and they feel like, okay, we've got to get back to what we do on a daily basis. They start to look around probably and realize, where are all of our slaves and servants who did everything for us? We let them go, right? And so now they're thinking, do we want to adjust to life without them? Are we going to, are we going to do things for ourselves or are we going to go get them and try to bring them back? And that's the route they decide to go. They say, you know what? Let's go get the people of Israel. Let's bring them back and make them serve us. And so in their defiance, in their rebellion, they change course and decide we're going to go get them, right? Um, I don't know how many times you've found yourself in a position where Maybe you've uh, watched a movie with somebody, or maybe you've sat in a team meeting before, and you've had an experience where you've kind of seen that, that, that's that thing, that movie, that meeting, that conversation, and kind of walked away feeling one way about it, and then tried to engage with somebody else, and they had a totally different thought process about it, right? I remember not too long ago, I brought up a movie that I really enjoy to Topi and was trying to have a conversation with him about it because I love this movie. And he was like, I hate that movie. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean you hate that movie? It's a great movie. And he's like, it's a terrible movie. And so we kind of bantered back and forth about why I liked it and why he hated it. And I was left kind of feeling like, how can we watch the same movie and have a totally different experience? That's what we have happening today in our passage. We have a narrative here happening where Egypt pursues Israel. The first part that we're about to look at is God's perspective about this narrative, how God sees this story unfolding. Then we're going to see how the children of Israel are experiencing this and what their perspective is about this narrative. So from a summary sentence standpoint, the twists, turns, and seeming traps of life become opportunities for us to know and acknowledge God more as we learn to trust, stand, and quietly wait for him who does all things well. The twists, turns, and seeming traps of life become opportunities for us to know and acknowledge God more as we learn to trust, stand, and quietly wait for him who does all things well. For our kids, God always shows up to save his people. God always shows up to save his people. Think about what we're told in scripture about God and the plans that he makes, not just for his large group of people, Israel, but for individual followers of him too. What are the the things that we're told about God and what he uh, prioritizes in his plan making? We know that through scripture, God is passionate about his glory and he's passionate specifically about his glory not being given to anyone else. He's also passionate about his people He's passionate about their preservation in the faith and their ultimate salvation. Those are the parameters that we should always think about our life in. That if we're following Jesus, God has constructed plans for our life that are ultimately about preserving us in the faith, right? Talks about in Philippians how he begins a good work, he starts a good work in us, he finishes that work, right? Like God's goal isn't always our daily comfort, right? It's far more about our daily preservation. And that can happen in a lot of different types of circumstances. That can happen in good times and in bad times from a worldly perspective, that God's always working to preserve our faith, to keep us tied to him. And then he's ultimately, he's ultimately prioritizing our ultimate salvation, 
where, right, where we make it to the end, where we're standing before him as faithful servants, where, where we are faithful to the very end, as the book of Hebrews talks about. That's God's priority when he makes plans for our life. Um, when I was in college working at a church up there, um, the, the youth pastor that I was kind of working under defined God's sovereignty in this way. He says that it's God working everything for his glory and for our good. It's the will of God that gives purpose to our life. It's God working everything for his glory and our good. His glory is our good, right? And so it's two, it's two things working together. For God to be sovereign, for God to be in control, he's working everything for his glory. We're going to see that in this passage today, that as God constructs this narrative of Egypt coming to try to find Israel and capture them once again, this is for his glory but it's also for their good because they're gonna have a lesson in faith that they haven't previously had and it's gonna be a lasting lesson that future generations are gonna look back to. It's the idea that the will of God gives purpose to our life that helps us to see the bigger picture when we're in an immediate trial or tragedy or difficulty, that we can trust that there's a bigger picture here, that it's not just about what happened today, that there's something that today fits into, a bigger picture of his glory and our good. So there's two sides, two perspectives to the story that we're going to see today. The first section is going to see God's anticipation of ultimate victory. The second section is going to see Israel's anticipation of ultimate demise. Two different perspectives, right? God's looking at this and saying, here we go. This is where I get the great victory. This is where I get the great glory. This is where my people learn a great lesson of trusting me. Israel looks at this and says, oh boy, here we go, right? Like it felt like we were getting out of here, but we're not getting out of here. We thought we were going to the promised land, but we're not going to the promised land. In fact, we wish we had never left, right? Two different perspectives about the same story. Two different perspectives about the same narrative. And we're gonna look more into it in depth now. So looking in verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses. So before, before it's even on the heart of Pharaoh to come after the Israelites, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. We're looking at this, first of all, from God's perspective. How to see the story from God's side. What what insight is given to us here in how God is talking with Moses, the conversation they're having? It starts with, number one, remembering your circumstances are opportunities by design. They're opportunities by design. Whatever circumstances you're going through today, they are by design from the creator of this universe, right? It's, it's, it's interesting to see like the, the intricate designs that, that God has in the science realm. So, right, you can study science and think like, what does this have to do with me? I'm not going to be a scientist. I'm not going to do these things long-term. So for our students, you sit in science class and you're, you're studying things that maybe you feel like this has no relevancy to me. 
If nothing else, see the intricate designs of how God works and moves in the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, uh, the ways that he has designed our universe when you're looking at astronomy. Like, see the intricate design of the creator of the universe and know he has applied that same type of design process to your life. Every aspect of your life, he has creatively designed for your good. The the, the great, wise creator of the universe has designed your circumstances with opportunities. Opportunities that are before you to bring him glory, for him to bring good to you. See what God's done here. He's told Israel to go backwards and to camp between the desert and the sea. Now, Again, on the surface, if we're looking at this, if we had a map of ancient Egypt and ancient Israel out and we could see exactly where these places were, we would look at it and say, this is crazy. This is destructive. This has, this has no rhyme or reason. Why would we go here? Why would we turn back? Why would we camp here? Why would we put ourselves in a position that's so dangerous? He's put them in a trap. If you read between the lines here, you see the desert is on one side, the Red Sea is on the other, and we know that Egypt's about to fill in the gap. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. And God puts them specifically here. And unless God is in charge with a designed plan for this, there isn't much hope of escape. Thankfully, we see in this passage, though, that he does have a design, right? He does have a design to this plan, He wants Pharaoh to see something. Verse 3 tells us, after they've turned around, after they've camped in this area, Pharaoh's going to say of his people, Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. He says, I want Pharaoh to look at what we do here, and I want him to think that we have no idea what we're doing. I want him to think that we're completely confused, that we've lost our way, and that we are susceptible to attack. He says, I want Pharaoh to be pulled out. I want Pharaoh to come and attempt to get my people so that I can put an end to him forever. He wants Pharaoh to see the chaos, the confusion as an opportunity to pounce once again. We know from our narrative that we've already read it works, that Pharaoh does see this as an opportunity to come. He does see this as an opportunity to try to get them back. Pharaoh is being drawn in for this ultimate defeat. I don't know how many of you have seen uh, the original Top Gun movie. You probably, if you hadn't seen it, saw it because of the second one being released last summer. There is a scene at the end of the first movie where they're in a dogfight with the, with the airplanes, the jets, the fighter jets are fighting there at the end. And there's a scene where the, the hero of the story uh, is down to one missile and, he, and he's trying to figure out how am I going to navigate this because there's more, there's more fighter jets left than I have ammunition for, right? And he's got one on his tail, and he's bearing down and he's shooting at him and they're trying to get away and he's got his guy behind him, his co-pilot with him and he's kind of like looking around and he's like, here's where he is, here's where he's coming, he's gonna get us. And all of a sudden, the co-pilot says, hey, we're slowing down, like what are you doing? All right? And the hero of the story says, I'm drawing him closer. I'm getting him closer to us. And the guy behind him's like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, like, that makes no sense. And like, he's freaking out. But then it flashes back to the hero of the story and he's dialed in. He's like, this is exactly what we got to do. He says, I'm bringing him in closer. I'm going to hit the brakes. He's going to fly right by and then I'm going to blast him. And that's exactly what happens. But you see two different perspectives on this playing out. It's like, why would we bring the enemy closer? That's dangerous, right? 
The guy who's in control of the situation says, that's exactly where I want him. Because as he comes closer, I'm baiting him into a trap where he will be put to death. That's what we have happening here with God. He says, I'm bringing Pharaoh in closer. Now, we haven't read it yet, but the people of Israel freak out like the co-pilot. They're like, what are you doing? Like, why are we doing this? Like, we're in the worst place possible. Here they come, and we can't beat them. God's like, we got them right where we want them. We're about to hit the brakes. We're going to fly right by, and we're going to crush them in the Red Sea to never hear from these people again. He's designed these circumstances intentionally for the deliverance of his people. It's the plan all along to draw Pharaoh out in order to eliminate this threat forever. To eliminate this threat forever. We want to remember in our own life that our circumstances are opportunities by design. Number two, we want to remember our circumstances are opportunities to know God more. Our circumstances are opportunities to know God more. Look as as God's talking here about what's going to be the result of this. The Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord. I'm going to receive the glory for this. These are the two end goals of what's happening here. He's drawing the enemy out. He's drawing them closer to his people for intentional purposes. He's putting his people what seems to be in harm's way, ultimately for his glory and for their good. This becomes this story of of the Red Sea parting and the Red Sea crushing the Egyptians and God's people walking on dry land. This becomes the Old Testament event for Old Testament saints to look to. We talk about the resurrection. We talk about Jesus dying on the cross and coming back to life. Like That's our, our hopeful story that we look back to as New Testament saints. Before that happened, Right? As Old Testament saints would have gathered and worshipped, that was their story to talk about. Remember when we came through the dry land? Remember when we came through the sea? Remember when God crushed our enemies with the Red Sea? That's our story of God's greatness. That's our story of God's provision. That's our story of God's salvation. It doesn't happen if God doesn't do this. This great spiritual marker in their life doesn't happen if God doesn't put them in harm's way temporarily to bring the enemy out so that he can then show his great deliverance. Our, our, opportunities are, our circumstances are opportunities by design. They're opportunities to know God more. Think about how God uses unusual strategies to reveal himself at other times in Scripture, right? And he uses um, Abraham and Sarah in their old age to bring about a, a promised child who is the father of all these people we're talking about here, Right? Think about how the, the walls of Jericho come down, not by, not by physical might, not by military prowess, but by walking around and watching God's power tear these great walls down. Think about how Naaman in the Old Testament has leprosy, right? And he, and he wants the, the all-powerful God of Israel to heal him. And God says, well, go bathe in the dirty Jordan River. He's like, well, that's gross. Like, why would I do that? Like, I don't know if you've noticed, like, the ponds over here in Sonoy since the storm last week. I mean, they are muddy. They are brown. Like, you don't want to go swim in that. That's exactly where, where God said, go, go bathe in that and you'll be healed, right? Unusual strategies to show his greatness, to show his power so that he gets the glory. Jesus dying on the cross, an unusual strategy, particularly from the enemy's vantage point, because the enemy thinks it's getting a victory over God. And in the midst of the death of Jesus, Jesus earns the great victory for us. God uses unusual strategies. This feels like an unusual strategy to put his people on a bad route, to put them in a trap, right? And what we see is that it's actually the best place for them to be. 
where God gets all of the glory, and they get this great spiritual experience that becomes a foundation for their faith going forward. Our opportunities are are not that much different. Our circumstances are opportunities to know him more in our own life. Right? It's great that you come here on Sundays and maybe in small group Wednesdays and for our kids to gather for uh, Bible lessons. It's great to hear the stories of the Old Testament. Great to hear the stories of the New Testament. But then we get to be a part of our own story where we see God's greatness, right? Like this isn't some, some made-up God that we're talking about this morning that did some things for some made-up people way a long time ago, right? We, we serve the same God today who provides for us in the same ways. And so we get circumstances dealt to us that become opportunities for us to know him more as well. If we see our story from God's side, we see design, we see intentionality, we see opportunity to know him more, and then number three, to acknowledge God more. Our circumstances are opportunities to acknowledge God more. He acts intentionally for his creation to acknowledge him, not just to know him, but to acknowledge him. He wants the glory as we see him provide for us in our circumstances. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Everything comes from God, comes through God, and it's for God. It's for him, for his glory. There's two ways for God to be glorified in our life, his judgment or his mercy. He's about to show both in this story. He's about to be glorified by judging Egypt in the Red Sea. He's about to show his glory by saving his people through the Red Sea. So all this is happening behind the scenes. Like, we can't expect Israel, like, it's not like Israel knows this and rejects it. So don't think that there's an advantage here that they had that you don't have, right? What we can trust is that whatever circumstances we're going through today, whether it's job uncertainties or, or tension with, with our kids or whatever it may be, we can trust that there's a designer behind our circumstances, even though we don't get to, to go into the control room maybe and see it. Right? This is a conversation between God and Moses. We have no indication that Moses came forward and said, hey, everybody, I've been talking to God. Here's what we're about to do. We're about to go camp here. It's going to be a trap. We're going to win the battle. It's going to be awesome. All we're seemingly told is that Moses came out and said, hey, back, that, back it up, back, back up. We're going over here. We're going to sit down here, and there's going to be a desert here and a Red Sea here, and that's all I'm telling you. And they're like, what are we doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense. In fact, this is scary. Like, this looks like a bad decision. Our circumstances may look like, man, this is, this is not good. This is not okay. Like, where, where's God at? What's he thinking? Like, he's missed something. What we've got to trust is that there's a control room that we're not giving access to. But we trust that there are conversations happening in that control room and God's designing our circumstances, giving us opportunities to know him more, to acknowledge him more. That's what's happening in verses one through four. He's orchestrating these events. He's putting his people in the right place. He's drawing the enemy out. He's gonna crush the enemy it's gonna, there's going to be some tension that's felt at first before he crushes the enemy. That's where they're going to have to trust him and lean on him. But he's going to deliver them. He's going to show up and save them. He's going to move the enemy right where they need to be so that they can be dealt with. And then we see his plan unfolding in verses 5 through 9. 
king of Egypt. He's told about the people. He says, let's get our chariots. Let's go. Let's go get them. His heart is hardened by the Lord, and he comes calling. He comes chasing. They pursue them, all of the horses, all of the chariots, all of the horsemen, all of his army, and they show up where the Israelites are encamped. That's where we come to verse 10, the other side of the story, right? Like, this first side of the story is somebody who's looking at this and saying, man, this is awesome. Like, this is about to be a great story, right? This is me watching that movie and saying, what a great movie, right? We're about to, be, we're about to see the other side where somebody says, this is not a great movie, right? Like, this is a terrible situation. This is not a good spot to be in. Look what verse 10 says. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. How do we adjust if we're seeing the story from the world side of things? right? Like we'd love to see it from God's side of things. We'd love to be people who are always walking in faith, always walking in mature faith. And so when circumstances are dealt to us, we immediately are triggered and say, oh man, our circumstances are by design. Like this is going to work out good. Like it doesn't feel like it, but man, I know it's going to be good. I'm going to look for ways to know God more in this. And I'm going to look for ways to acknowledge God more in this. Man, we'd love to be in that spot. Oftentimes we're not. Oftentimes we find ourselves like the Israelites. We're panicking, we're fearful, we're complaining, we're distrusting what's happening around us. And so we need to, we need to recorrect ourselves. We need to autocorrect. We need to, we need to change our mindset. And that's what Moses does for the children of Israel. He hears everything they're saying and he gives them opportunities to correct it. He starts by telling them to fear not. Fear not by looking above your circumstances. Notice he tells them to fear not And this is not just a comfort phrase for them. It's a rebuke. There's a difference, right? It's not just that he's saying like, fear not, like it's okay, like, you know, it's gonna be be all right. It's more like, hey, stop being fearful. Like you have no reason to be fearful, right? There's times when our kids cry and they're justified in their crying, right? And they need tender mom and tender dad to kind of come and console them and help them and and help them kind of navigate and process through whether it's an injury or whether it's hurt feelings or whatever that may be. There's other times as parents when we find our kids crying and we're like, no, you're not going to do that. Like, stop it now. Like, that's silly. That's ridiculous. That's selfish. Like, I'm not going to even like tolerate your crying right there. Like, it's inappropriate. Like, stop. Like, stop crying, right? That's kind of what what Moses is saying here. It's like, stop being afraid. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, think about what we just came through, right? We've seen 10 plagues. We've seen God save us through the night when he didn't save the Egyptians. We've seen ourselves walk past these people who are now pursuing us. And we weren't scared then, right? 
Like we talked about how they kind of walked out like as, as triumphant, uh, as a triumphant army would walk out, right? Like, here we go, and give us your money, give us your stuff, like, you owe us, we've been serving you. Like, they walk out real confident, and then it's the same people that all of a sudden they're terrified of. He's like, stop, stop being afraid, like, that's silly. Like, fear not about what's happening right now. No reason to be afraid. There's no right to be crying. There's no reason to be complaining right here. It's a reminder to us that we can't follow and trust God only when things seem great. And things were great when they left Egypt and the people were basically just like giving them all their stuff. It was easy to be confident during that time. We got to follow God and trust him even when things don't seem great. No fear because they are right where God wanted them to be, right where he planned to rescue them. Think about the fact that his glory is at stake here and he's not going to let his glory be stolen. It's a reminder to us to not get caught looking at our surroundings. Notice that they're told to look up, or notice that we're told they do look up, right? It says, when Pharaoh drew near, people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And what do they see when they lift up their eyes? They see the Egyptians marching after them. Don't get caught looking at your surroundings. Don't get caught looking at your circumstances. They should have kept looking further up, right? I mean, they're doing whatever. They're kind of tinkering with their tents. Like, man, why are we told to camp here? This seems ridiculous. And somebody kind of nudges the other person and says, hey, look up and see what's coming. And he looks up and he sees the Egyptians coming. Right? The admonition here is to keep looking further up to the God who has been taking care of them, who has been providing for them. And we don't want to get caught looking at our circumstances. We don't want to get caught focusing on the things around us to where we grow fearful, because we will, right? Like Peter's walking on the water. He's fine when he's got his eyes set on Jesus. As soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, man, everything seems scary. Everything seems like crazy. And like, I don't know if I can do this. There's a, a scene in an old movie called Hoosiers. It's a basketball movie. And they're in the, the end of the, the kind of the movie. They're in a big game and they're, they're, they're losing and they need a big shot to happen. And so the coach calls time now. He pulls them all together. It's a small school that's playing in this giant game. And he calls this play and he says, hey, uh, we're going to run this play called the picket fence. All right. So he tells them like what we're going to do. And he can see that their eyes are kind of like big eyed, like we're in a big moment here. Big game, big team, lots of people staring at us. And he says, don't get caught watching the fence dry. All right? He says, we're going to run this play. And he's like, hey, don't lose sight of what we're doing. Don't lose sight of the plan. Don't get caught watching everything else around you. He says, dial in on what we're doing right here. Stay focused. That's the idea here. It's like, man, don't, don't get caught looking at the Egyptians coming. Like, think about where your eyes really need to be. They need to be on the one who's been taking care of you. Israel makes the mistake of looking up to their circumstances, but fails to look further up to the designer of those circumstances. Man, Pharaoh and Egypt, we don't want to downplay how real they are, how real the pressures are, how real the threats are. And these are alarming things, right? We don't want to ever like make your circumstances feel like they're not that big a deal and you should just be over it. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is that, hey, in the midst of real trial, in the midst of real tragedy, in the midst of real entrapment, where you feel like, man, I don't know, I don't know what's happening in here, and I don't know how to get out of it, I don't know what God's doing, that's when we look to him. That's when we put our eyes on him. The enemy is closing in. Yeah, the pressures and the threats are real, but they're only following the plan set by God. The enemy can only do what fits in God's plans. We just recently looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in our small group study, right? And in that small group study, 2 Thessalonians 2, what are we told about God? What are we told about the enemy? 
Man, that, that chapter is kind of scary if you read through it. The, the whole idea of this man of lawlessness coming and the end times, like people being deceived and lots of bad things happening. What happens though? We see that that stuff can only happen when God says it can, right? It's restrained until God says it can happen. When that great deception comes, it only deceives the deceived. And all of that gets stopped by the breath of Jesus. Right? The enemy can only do what God says it can do. We don't have to look at our circumstances and panic. The greatest enemy plans can only, uh, they only result in God's victory and his glory. Think about Romans nine seventeen. It says that God raised Pharaoh up so he could show his power over him so that his name would be shared forever. And this is part of raising Pharaoh up so that God can get the victory over him. Fear not by looking above your circumstances. Number two, stand firm in what you know God has done and will do. Another reason for them not to fear here is that God has too much invested in them to fail. I mean, think about what he's already done for them, how he's already provided for them, how he's already taken care of them, all the plagues. He's heard their cries. He's moved and worked to, to preserve Moses during that genocide. Like Everything's been done with intentionality to spare them. They've forgotten, though. While the circumstances are real and they're hard, they lose sight of what God has already done to overcome previous circumstances. They forget that God is their pillar of cloudy fire leading them to this exact point in their journey. They forget the works that God has already done and the love that he's already shown. The psalmist in Psalm 106 looks back to this. And look what he says. He's confessing his own sin and he attributes himself like he's committing the same sins that the people here do. It says, both we and our fathers have sinned, Lord. We've committed iniquity we have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. What's he saying? He says, man, your people forgot you. They forgot your works. They forgot your love. They forgot your provision. They rebelled by complaining. He says, years in the future, he says, I'm guilty of doing the same thing. Lord, I've forgotten how you've taken care of me. I've forgotten how you provided for me. They forget that they're carrying the bones of Joseph, which serve as a sign of what God has promised to do. Like I was, as I was studying, I was thinking about like, because you don't hear about the, the bones of Joseph again for a while, but they're there. They're there the whole time. Because in Joshua, at the end of Joshua, we're told they finally bury him, right? They bury him in the promised land. Think about if you're the guys that are tasked with carrying them, right? Like you're carrying them and like you're reminding yourselves like, man, this is heavy. Like, why are we doing this? Well, because we got we to gotta bury these in the promised land. Remember, like Joseph believes this promise, like we're doing this. So they're talking about it. They're reminding themselves of it. Then they sit the bones down and they're like, man, we're never going to get to the promised land. Like they start complaining about how God's not going to take care of them. And, and yet the bones are meant to be like this visual reminder that we are going. We are going to get there. So in the midst of having like this great promise before them, they're in the midst of complaining constantly about whether God's going to provide for them. I love this quote from uh, the commentator John J. Davis. Look what he says. Without a historical consciousness, a consciousness of what God has done and a deep-rooted faith in what God will do, one is easily moved by the emotion of a given situation. For us to stand firm in what we know God has done and what we know God will do, we have to have that conscious awareness of what he's done in the past, how he's provided for his people. We also have this deep-rooted faith in what we know he will do for his people in the future, things that he hasn't done, but that he's promised to do. 
It allows us to stand firm, not just to fear not, but to stand firm when we want to run, when we want to hide, when we want to grumble, when we want to complain. To stand firm knowing that what God has done, he will continue to do. And then lastly, number three, be silent as you patiently anticipate his victory. Be silent as you patiently anticipate his victory. Back in Exodus 14. They're panicking. They look up. They see the Egyptians coming. They're crying out to Moses. Why, why, why have you done this? Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Anticipate it. Right? Anticipate this victory that's coming, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Their bad perspective about things leads to short-sightedness, which leads to complaining. They start expressing their desires for what they hate. They want to go back to Egypt, which they couldn't wait to get away from Egypt not that long ago. But the same is true for us. When we forget God's promises, we start to imagine the worst possible scenarios. Think about that. Like, I know I'm guilty of this. Like, when I lose sight of looking out and seeing God and his promises, and I'm just looking at my circumstances, I start to imagine the worst possible scenarios happening, right? I start to think about what if this and what if that, and this could certainly happen, and, and this might happen, and this probably will happen, right? Like, I, I let my mind go crazy with all these worst-case possible scenarios, and it's though like the control room is short-circuited where I think all the designs happen, right? Like, like if I believe in a good God, a good wise God, a God who designs this world, designs everything in it, designs my life, knows my days, knew them before I was ever put in the womb, right? Has that short-circuited? Like, has that gone awry? Like, has God forgotten his devotion to me? Has he forgotten his promises? No. No, and he never will. But if I, if I start looking just at my circumstances, and I don't look above them to see the one who's the designer, I start panicking and I start thinking worst-case scenarios, and that's what the Israelites are thinking. They're like, we're never going to get to the promised land. We're going to die right here. We're going to die right here. Moses instead instructs them to see the Lord's coming salvation, to anticipate what they know is true. He encourages them to see what they see now as something they will no longer see going forward. He encourages them to see now what they see as something that will no longer be seen going forward. Right? These circumstances are real, but they're about to change, and they're about to change in a moment. Yes, the Egyptians are coming, but you're never going to see them again. He tells them to wait, to wait silently, to wait patiently. What do we wait on? Well, we're waiting on God's victory of bringing about our good for his glory in the midst of whatever trial or tragedy or circumstances we have right now. Think about that. Like whatever you're going through right now, the same admonition is given to you. To, to, to fear not, to stand firm, and to be silent and to wait for him. And what are we waiting on? Well, we're waiting for him to bring good to us in the situation. We're waiting for him to bring his glory to the situation because that's what he prioritizes. We wait because it's his plan, his fight, his victory. He says, this is the Lord's fight. You don't have to fight for, uh, for this. God's gonna fight for you. We don't have to fight for our good. We don't have to fight for his glory. He's gonna achieve both of those things. Here's a real similar story in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20 with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is being uh, kind of uh, entrapped by the enemy as well. He's got these other 
armies and forces closing in on him. And he's got the opportunity to panic too, right? In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, right? Like he's getting all this advice that like, hey, these people are coming. They're going to destroy us. It doesn't look good. And he begins to cry out to God. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. It says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Notice what he's doing. He's going to the God who is the designer. He's appealing to the God who designs to remember his promises, right? He's like, God, did you not promise to do these things? And then he starts to inform God of what God already knows, the circumstances that are at play. Like these people are bearing in on us. Disaster seems to be before us. He says in verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. He's like, God, we're, we're appealing to you. Like, we, we don't want to complain. We don't want to push back. We want you to do what you've promised to do, and that's to deliver us. Look at the last part of verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what a, what, a, what a comfort and encouragement that the king here, like, who should be the most spiritually mature in the kingdom, and he's, he's crying out in humility to God, and he says, God, I don't know what to do. These are dire circumstances. They are real circumstances. There is a real threat outside my door. The enemy is bearing in on me. I can look out and see it. But he says, I'm going to look above it. I'm going to look above those circumstances. I'm going to see you as the God who has always been faithful. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You're the designer, and I'm looking for opportunities for you to work good here. I'm looking for opportunities for you to work your glory here. We're going to wait on you to do that to be silent, but to anticipate his victory. That's what Jehoshaphat gives us an example of. To not grumble, to not complain, to not doubt, to not distrust, but to go to him, to put our eyes on him, to wait patiently for his victory. Two application questions that I want to leave you with today. Number one, what's your threshold of disappointment that makes you question his will and doubt his plans with fear and complaints. We're, none of us are exempt from this, right? Like, again, we'd love to be so spiritually mature that we get to a point where we never doubt him and we never complain, but we're not, not there, like, and we won't be until he comes back. But as we grow and mature, hopefully that threshold increases as to what it takes to get us to grow fearful that gets us to, to doubt his plan to the point of complaining about it. And I would just encourage you to think back over the last couple of weeks, like what has it taken? What has it taken at home? What has it taken at work? What has it taken within your extended family to get you to be fearful or to, to get you to complain about God and his, and his plans? What, what has it taken to get you to act like the Israelites? Hopefully, most of the time, we're acting like Jehoshaphat, and we're saying, God, like, things are crazy, but my, my eyes are on you, and I trust you to do something here. But all of us at points in time are going to become like the Israelites and look around going, what are you doing? Like, we're going to die here. Like, this is not good. What's the threshold that it takes to get you in that unhealthy spot of complaining 
in fear. And then number two, what historical acts of faithfulness have we learned so far about God in Exodus that ought to raise that threshold higher? What historical acts of faithfulness have we learned so far about God in Exodus that ought to raise that threshold higher? Think back on what we've already seen about God over the past several months. What, what are we learning about him that should encourage our hearts when we find ourselves like the Israelites or like Jehoshaphat in the most dire of circumstances and in need of the most dire salvation possible? What, what do we know about God? I mean, we've seen his greatness. We've seen his wisdom. We've seen his faithfulness. We've seen his responsiveness. We've seen his resilience. We've seen his tenderness. We've seen his provision. We know he's invested in his people. We don't have to question whether he's giving up on that investment because he's not. I want to read Psalm 77 as we close today. Psalm chapter 77 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. What does he do in response to those feelings? Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That's an encouragement to us today. We can cry out to him in the night. We can cry out to him and we can remember his faithfulness of the past and know that he will continue to be faithful to us today. Let's pray together. God, I pray that as we travel this life and we endure circumstances that are less than desirable, Lord, help us not to to fall prey to seeing them only from the worldly side of things. Lord, give us that other perspective. Help us to see the other side. Help us to see that you are in control. Help us to see that you do things by design, that you give us opportunities to know you and to acknowledge you. Lord, help us to see that you're always working for our good. You're always working for your glory. And Lord, when we fail to remember those things, help us to be prompted and reminded to fear not when we've grown fearful, to see that we're, we're in a spot where we have no reason to fear. Lord, help us to stand firm, 
by remembering your faithfulness in the past and what you've promised to do in the future. Lord, help us to to be silent when we need to stop our complaining. Lord, help us to be silent when we need to stop our doubts and our insecurities. Lord, help us to instead use our words to come to you, to look higher above our circumstances, to cry out to you and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lord, I pray that what we know about you in Exodus will raise the threshold of what it takes for us to grow fearful and to doubt you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.